Unless you live in a cave somewhere, you're probably aware that there is a global refugee crisis. What can we do? Today's guest has some answers. Next on the Church Solutions Podcast. It's the Church Solutions Podcast, brought to you by StreamingChurch.tv. The Church Solutions Podcast is all about helping you and your church with technology and other encouraging ideas for ministry. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Lacey and Phil Thompson. And it's episode 334 on the Church Solutions Podcast. My name is Phil Thompson. And I'm Steve Lacey. I had to get your help, Steve, on the episode number. I couldn't remember it. I just happened to remember it from last time. Why do why do all the you know we've been doing these podcasts for years before there were podcasts, literally? Uh, why do why do people that may be pushing it? But I think so. I think we, we've been doing it well over ten years. Right? How long? Have yeah, well, it's been around for a very long time. Yeah, but not too many people really got right until yeah. we, we came. But anyhow, that's right. We yeah. we made it famous. We're on the cutting edge. So, but why do people always say the episode number? I guess it's good because if you want to like call something up on Spotify or. Yeah. You say episode 334 of Church Solutions. All right. So enough of this foolishness. Uh, Steve, you doing okay? I'm doing all right. All right. We have a uh, special guest today as my phone starts ringing. And uh, uh, her name is Jennifer Tompkins. I'm going to put my glasses on. I want to read your wonderful bio, Jennifer, and then we'll we'll introduce you here. Uh, She is the executive director of Tucson Refugee Ministry. And uh, she's been the executive director since October of 2019. She's got a a master's degree from Gateway Seminary. She's got a bachelor's of science. uh, And that's in biological pre-med illustration. I have to find out more about that here in a moment, Jennifer. Uh, And she loves, she's passionate about living her life out for God and loving people. Uh, Her neighbors are the kingdom of God. She's got a family, got four kids. And uh, we're just so privileged to have you on here today, Jennifer. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. So I want to just start off by saying that, uh, you know, you're you're here in Tucson, which is where we're at. But Tucson Refugee Ministry, I wanted to bring this topic up because I feel like it it, it affects, it, it can affect everybody. Uh, pastors and people listening to this podcast, uh, all over the United States, North America, uh, even globally, I guess. And so I want to really... People, I want people to have that picture in mind here as we talk to you a little bit about what you do here and how maybe that's something that could apply to wherever in the world these listeners are. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So let's um, let's start with what do you do? What does Tucson Refugee Ministry do? Right. Yeah, so we build bridges between um, the government who resettles refugees in the United States and the church, and we seek to really help to build support systems and help our refugees who are our newest neighbors to just come and not just survive, but to thrive. And we do that through a lot of different programs and ways that we can get um, a lot of our um, interdenominational Christians together to, to do that. So, Could uh, I give some statistics on yeah. really how many refugees there are in the world today? So we have 
across the world, there are about 86 million people who are displaced. So they've had to flee from their homes for one reason or another, whether that's war. We're hearing a lot about war, especially Ukraine and Afghanistan right now. But there's actually a lot of wars that are happening in other parts of the world right now, too. So South Sudan, you know, the DRC, we've got some things happening in Guatemala and Central America. And so there's a lot of different wars and things that are displacing people. But that's 86 million people. That's one in 95 people today are displaced from their homes. And here in the United States, we absolutely can't imagine what that's even like. We don't, I mean, we're, we just live in such safety. We can't imagine being pushed out of our homes because of weather or because of a natural disaster or famine or, or war. Um, so, so it's one in 95 people. So 26 million of them have been vetted by the UN to be resettable into other countries. Um, and so of those 26 million, our um, president, whoever's president at the time, gets to decide how many of them get to come into the United States. So our previous administration, um, we only had about 9,000 that came in over the entire year. This year alone, we've already welcomed in more than we have in the last four years combined. And we have not yet welcomed any Ukrainians in. A lot of that was uh, welcoming a lot of our Afghan um, friends in. Um, and so here in Tucson, it's estimated that we have over 10,000 refugees um, that are living here in Tucson. Arizona over the years has welcomed in almost 90,000 refugees. So we do have quite a few refugees in the state. Um, and, and of course, once they become citizens, they, they're, they have conditional citizenship. So they're welcomed in by the U.S. government. They're given conditional citizenship. They have to fulfill that within the first five years. And once they, they fulfill their citizenship, they're no longer tracked as refugees. They're just American citizens. Wow. So I mentioned before we started that I've got some close to home uh, things going on. So my wife uh, taught ESL to elementary kids. So English as a second language. And so, you know, most people would say, oh, you know, that's that means you're it's primarily, you know, people from Mexico, right? That the Mexicans are coming. And she's like, no, it's, you know, as I've grown to know, it's predominantly um, for her. It was a lot of Africa based and just all over the world. The majority of the the uh, the kids that she was teaching in at the school she was teaching at were, um, you know, Congo and just other, other parts of the world. She put up a, a thing in her, um, in her classroom that had a map and each of the kids that were in her class had a push pin on the map and it showed where everyone had come from. So it's, you know, it, it, here in Southern Arizona, a lot of people think since we're so close to the Mexican border that it's mainly, you know, teaching uh, Spanish speaking kids, but it's, uh, it's not that way at all. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so there was an organization, and I don't know if it was yours or maybe a, a confederate of organizations that were that would assist these refugees as they get placed in this company in this country. There's where do I live? Where do I find a job? How do I get my kids in school? Um, is that the type of thing that that your um, organization is responsible for? So that's what the resettlement agencies are responsible for. So in Tucson, there are four resettlement agencies. So they're government funded. So of course, you know, when the U.S. government invites the refugee in, then they get um, chosen to go to a certain city. So when they go to Tucson, they'll go through 
one of four resettlement agencies. There'll be um, Catholic Social Services, Lutheran Social Services, um, Jewish Family and Children's Services, or the IRC, which is International Rescue Committee. So they're, what they do um, by law, they're required to get them into housing, to get them a job, and to get the kids in school, and to, to get them assigned up for any assistance that they might need. Um, but beyond that, there's no requirements to um, to to keep helping them. Um, but we realize that they're coming in and they have absolutely no support system. So they may not know another soul. They're not coming in as family groups. They're coming in as individuals and they may actually be coming in with somebody that they were at war with. And so their neighbor might be, you know, they distrust them because they're from a country right next to them that their country was at war with. So, so they have no support systems. Frequently, they're not accepted into their own faith communities because they came from a different faith community community. They don't know the language. They don't know the culture and their job skills don't, don't travel over. So if you were a doctor, let's say in Sudan, you would have to become a doctor again here in the United States. And there's something that we have that's called credit and we have to have credit to be able to buy anything big. And that doesn't happen in most other countries. And so they're coming in essentially under poverty level because they don't have the support systems or the knowledge that most of our working poor have here in the United States. So what we do is we come in with lots of different programs and different ways to really engage the refugees and to be able to help them. So we have um, programs that are like driving um, to be able to help them learn to get a driver's license. I, you guys are in Tucson. There's no way you could have a job <laughs> without having a car here in Tucson because it's just so spread out and our public transportation isn't, isn't adequate for that. Um, so we help them with driving lessons. Um, we have a whole group that is called Arrive and Thrive that is half refugees and half business people here in Tucson. And what they do is they take that refugee and they say, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to start a business? Do you want to work back into your area of interest? Do you want to buy a home? Do you need a certification so you can get a better job? What do you want to do? And they help them to navigate that system here in Tucson to be able to actually know how to do that. For some of us that have lived here for in Tucson a long time, that's even a difficult thing to do, let alone if you don't know the language or the culture or just how things work. We have a lot of social groups. And so these social groups are anywhere from elementary age youth to teens to um, to our college age students, to all of our adult refugees. And these social um, programs are really be to be able to help them to develop a community, to develop that support system. And we have a lot of volunteers from our um, almost 70 church partners that partner in with that. So they become friends, they become, you know, their, their help and their support system here in the United States. Um, we do things like baby partnerships. I can't imagine um, going to a new country, not having your mom or your sisters or your aunties around when you normally would have them. And then it's COVID on top of that. So you go into a cold, dark hospital all by yourself when that's not how you're used to giving birth. So we have um, women's groups who are coming around new refugee mamas. We just had 13 baby showers in the last month um, that will do baby showers and baby partnerships where we will, you know, kind of partner with those families for long term. We do family partnerships. Um, so where um, a family just might need somebody to be in their lives to explain what the heck that bill is that came in the mail. What does it say? Um, we do lots and lots of stuff with, uh, we have a summer camp for youth. We recently started um, in the Amphi neighborhood. Um, we started a community center. Um, that's where a lot of our refugees live. Of course, it's the least um, expensive housing in Tucson and lots and lots of apartment buildings. 
And so in that community center, we'll be able to have things like, you know, a celebration of, of Afghan night. Right now it's Ramadan for a lot of our friends that are um, Muslim background. And so we've been celebrating Easter and Ramadan at the same time and, um, and you know, kind of educating each other about what that's about. We have lots of different programs. Go ahead. I, re- I remember going with my wife to uh, one of the kids' soccer games. So they were playing soccer on the weekend and it was some of the refugee kids that we were there to cheer them on. And they had um, the the person working with them that was the problem to the game, you know, is transportation and all that sort of thing. So kind of got a little bit of exposure to um, what the, I assume these are these churches. Well, that's my next question is mm-hmm. as the churches participate, what, what are they doing? Are they, they're recruiting volunteers that would, that would serve within your organization to do these things. What's, what's, um, what's the requirement on a church or what does it look like to a church or the church? So what we're doing is really creating a bridge, creating a way that um, church members could actually connect in with refugees. And so, um, so we do a lot of vetting. So they go through a refugee one hundred and one, which is on our, on our website. And anybody could go through that at any time tells about refugees and tells about, um, cultural differences. And then we do a refugee 201, which is together with us so people can ask all of their questions. We do a background check. So because we work with a vulnerable population mm-hmm. and then, um, and then they can volunteer with us. And we, we have just a whole slew of different things that they could do to volunteer with us, depending on their interests. Maybe they'd like to do tutoring. We do tutoring with kids, or maybe they'd like to do English class, or maybe they'd like to do driving, you know, just all of these different things. So the, the volunteer from the church then would be able to to just plug in wherever their interest is but we frequently go and do church um um like presentations where i'll either get to go and talk in front of the church and let them know about what we're doing as a ministry or we'll do like a a table at the back and be able to let people know a little bit more about what we're doing and that's how we've really um, gotten partnerships with so many churches here in tucson let me uh, jump in here because uh, there's a lot of stuff here you're talking about here. So I need to see a schematic in my brain. So you said there's four resettlement organizations like here in Tucson. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you guys, Tucson Refugee Ministry, you're kind of the ones that kind of take it to the next step after, you know, the things you just mentioned, all those things. Yeah. You guys are the ones that kind of help create, let's say, bridges or uh, paths for people to refugees to start to get plugged in and simulated into their. Yes. Am I right so on this work, so far? Yeah, we work very closely with all four of those resettlement agencies. So whenever they they've need, they go ahead and they call us and talk to us. And it could be a need like a practical need. So we work with um, Care Portal. And so if there's a practical need, like they need a car seat or whatever, we'll go ahead and get that out there. Um, but they ha- there's a referral form on our website and they refer refugees to us because they know that their, um, their case managers don't have the time to be able to do the things that we can do to help people really settle in and be able to thrive. So we work very closely with them. Um, you may have heard that we had lots of refugees at one time, over 250 refugees in a hotel here in Tucson. So we were constantly at the hotel helping out the IRC who had that 
um, who had the refugees there. And so we provided childcare, we provided English classes, we provided um, driving lessons, we helped them move into their new homes. So we really come alongside and assist the um, resettlement agencies and the things that they can't really get to because they're concentrating on, you know, getting them homes, getting them jobs, all of those things. But then we continue those relationships so that we're able to really just um, speak into the lives of the refugees and be able to develop support systems for them. And as a Christian, I can't help but talk about Jesus. And so we're, you know, we're there also spreading the love of Jesus. How did this start? I'm sorry, Steve, but I got to know. I I mean, whose idea was this? (laughs) So Cherie Gray was our founder and Cherie was um, an overseas um, global worker. And when she came home, she still wanted to be able to work with some of the Muslim populations that she'd worked with previously and realized that there were refugees here. And I happened to be in a Bible study with her when she first came back and was realizing this and praying about um, whether or not she would start something up with this. And that was about 16 years ago. And, um, and she did, and she started to gather people and say, Hey, look, here's this whole population that just needs, um, needs to know the love of Jesus, but needs to have friends here in Tucson. And so they don't feel so isolated. We have, um, when, for example, like one family who had gone 10 years without having an American friend or knowing anybody here and their daughter, who was nine years old at the time, emailed me, um, emailed our Tucson Refugee Ministry and said, I'm scared for my mom. And so we went to the home and because they knew no one and mom was suffering from depression, they just, you know, were holed up by themselves. Now they're thriving. They're doing so well because we're able to come in and connect them with resources and be able to love on them and really, um, you know, just continue to support them. But that happens a lot when they're when they're afraid and they're scared. They just kind of close in on themselves. But I got to tell you, when they are put into community and they are loved on, man, they become bossy parts of those communities. <laughs> <laughs> I just before we got on this um, call, I had several of the refugee moms that were telling me that I need to come to their homes for dinner if tar is happening. So it's the closing of Ramadan when they invite all of their friends over for giant amounts of food. And so, and they're telling us what we need to do in our programs because they feel so part of the community. And even in the community center, they're excited about the things that are happening there. So the question I was going to ask, is it a, um, what's the funding model? Is it for your organization or the, or with the churches is, can the, how's that all work? Are you a a nonprofit that's takes donations or yeah, we're a nonprofit in Tucson. So we um, we have a lot of private donors. We also apply for grants. We also have churches that support us. Really just um, people who are catching the idea of what we're doing and really getting excited. They um, are giving towards Tucson Refugee Ministry. We would love any sort of donations at any time. Definitely prayer. But, you know, what we need the most is volunteers, people who mm-hmm. are willing to come in and spend the time to make relationships. Is there any, what, what you're doing seems pretty unique to me, but is there anything like this in other states in, in, here in yes. America? Is there, do you know of any other organizations that are kind of doing very similar stuff to what you guys are? There are. And in fact, there is a whole kind of coalition of people who are doing this. Not every city has got um, a ministry that's doing it. 
Um, but uh, Cherie, who was my predecessor, who passed away two and a half years ago, actually helped to start several in some different um, areas. So San Diego and Denver and um, Georgia. And so um, she was kind of traveling to help start some of the other ministries. And, and I've got an opportunity that I'm going to be going to California soon to be able to help start another one. But this could happen anywhere. All, all you really need is somebody who is passionate about um, connecting in with refugees and making relationships and being able to connect um, other Christians in with. It's, there's just so many. You can't do it all on your own. You need friends who are going to go and, and love on refugees with you. My um, wife tells, she recently was on one of the social platforms with one of her former students from like 10 years ago. So when she, she got to know her when this girl was in third grade or so, and she sees her today uh, for good or bad. She is, she said, my wife was explaining to me, said, yeah, when she came, she was, you know, dressed and had the, the hair customs and everything from her native land. And she's really surprised to see her today. <laughs> she's a very yeah. different little girl, little American girl now. So with uh, all of the things that come with that, well, not, not little, she's, I guess, her late teens now. So it's interesting I to think, see the transformation. She's assimilated. I think one of the most important things that we do is that we really do connect out with the youth and the teens, because when they first come, they learn the language so much faster than their parents that they become the adults in the house pretty quickly. Like they have to translate for all of the appointments, they have to translate what's in the mail, all of that. So some of our most important programs are our youth programs. So we have a summer program where kids get to come to camp and they get to hang out and have fun and just be kids while their parents are typically working. They'd be stuck in the apartment otherwise. We have large teen groups. We have a teen girls group that's about 80 kids. Uh, We've got about, um, you know, 40 um, teen boys that we connect with a lot. And what we're doing is we're helping them because they don't feel like they're the culture of their parents and they don't quite feel like they're American. They're kind of somewhere in between and they need to connect with other kids that are in that same situation and they need to be able to feel like they can be kids and be able to connect in with the community. So we actually also partner with a lot of our community partners here. So we connect them in with the YMCA. We connect them with Boys and Girls Club. We connect them with Girl Scouts. Um, Safe spaces where they know that they can be kids, but then we also take them to go do fun things and we teach them about some of the things that they might need to know in the American culture that their parents just wouldn't know to what to talk to them about, like maybe about, about sex or drugs or about um, gangs, you know, some of these things that wouldn't even be in their home countries, their parents wouldn't even know culturally to, to warn them about and, and just pouring in that, hey, you are loved and you are valuable and helping them as they choose, you know, kind of what kind of lifestyle are they going to live because now they're in this completely different culture. Yeah. So what's the typical um, lifespan for someone under your care? Is there like a graduation where they come in, they know nothing, they know nothing, you know, and then all of a sudden they're to a point where they don't need any help anymore. Is that, no, there's no graduation. It's really relationships. It's doing life with. And so, you know, we've got some people who, um, you know, 
they've partnered with families for years and years and now are, you know, they're with grandkids or kids of the people that they partnered with, you know, they, it just, they have become family. And that's really what they need is that support system here. A lot of them are coming from cultures where it is a, a group culture where you, you know, you're a tribal culture or you're, you know, you're with your family and they're coming here with nothing, you know, they need that desperately. And so it is long-term, a lot of long-term relationships and friendships that develop out of this. Very cool. And I can see where, um, I mean, churches would be, they're, they're well equipped for all of this, like you mentioned earlier, because the people coming here don't know the language, don't know. So if I can, if I can speak English, if I can drive a car, if I can have any social skills at all, I, I'm a more than, um, yeah, I'm very well equipped to serve in this ministry, right? Right. You don't, yeah, you don't need any sort of skills. You just need to want to make a friend. Um, and, and, you know, to help somebody with English, you just have to be able to know English. And most of us do know that. <laughs> so, uh, Jennifer, if I'm a pastor or just a leader in my church listening to this podcast and, and you know, I'm listening to this going, hmm, this is something my church should get involved in. What what can they do? What 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 are the first few steps? Should they reach out and contact you? Absolutely. So on our website, there's a contact us form, and there's also a volunteer now form. Would love for them to to go out to our website. It's TucsonRefugeeMinistry.com. You could also um, email me directly at Jennifer at TucsonRefugeeMinistry.com. We'd love to be able to connect your church in. It's and as we are looking at that, we will be getting even more refugees in. I, you know, heard our president promise that there's going to be a hundred thousand more Ukrainians coming. Um, you know, some of those are also going to be filtering into Tucson, and so there's just this large need for the church to be the church and be the hands and feet and, and love our neighbors. Yeah. So, and you're, I assume, is a resource as well. If I'm in uh, Omaha, Nebraska or yeah, Nashville, absolutely. Tennessee, or something like that. And I can't, you know, my volunteers can't make it to Tucson, but you'll probably have some resource tips for them to, you know, reach out to this organization in Nashville or. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. So the website is Tucson Refugee Ministry.com. Jennifer Tompkins is our guest. This is a wonderful ministry. Let me, let me just ask you a question. You ever get pushback from people, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> This is America. Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, I don't mean to be negative, but do, do you get pushback sometimes? All the time. <laughs> this do is you, not how, an easy ministry. Yeah, how do you we handle have, that? How do you handle that? Because we we predominantly work with the um, the Muslim background um, refugees, because a lot there are actually quite a few um, Christian churches here for some of our African background or, you know, some of our people who've come in that are Christian, they, they can kind of come into our culture and be able to assimilate pretty quickly, but for our Muslims, they don't. And so there's a lot of people who push back about, you know, um, you know, telling Muslims about Jesus or, or even that they're upset that Muslims are here. Um, politically people push back. Um, but we're not a political organization. We feel like neither one of the parties actually line up with what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is that we're supposed to care for the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. And for our refugees, they're often all four of those. And so when people do push back on it, on me, I gently remind them what, what the, what the word says and what we do and why we do it. 
That's wonderful. All right. Good deal. Well, we're out of time here, but as Jennifer mentioned, you can reach out to her. Uh, just go to the website, TucsonRefugeeMinistry.com, and uh, you can and if you want to reach out to us, you can do that as well. If it's easier, where you just send us an email, support at streamingchurch.tv. Uh, as you've probably figured out by now by listening to this podcast, we cover a variety of different topics besides tech. And it's been our pleasure to have you on today, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. And uh, Steve, thank you for your input today. As always, hey, some very hey, good hey. questions. Hey, it's great to participate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and most of all, folks, thank you for spending some time with us today on the Church Solutions Podcast. Uh, you can always subscribe to us just uh, anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just include us, Church Solutions Podcast. And uh, until then, please take care of yourself and each other. And we'll catch you again next time on another episode of the Church Solutions Podcast. I'm Phil Thompson. <laughs>